Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Twice every weekday on Vision and on demand in the free Vision Christian Media app. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. As you know, this month has been just a treasure for stargazers with five planets to see in the evening sky. And astronomers say that Mars has been looking its best in 15 years. And tomorrow morning, there's going to be an amazing lunar eclipse. About half the world is going to be able to see it. The period of complete eclipse, which is known as totality, when the moon appears darkest, will last from 5.30am to 7.13am Australian Eastern Standard Time. So a couple of hours earlier, 3.30am in the West. At the same time, Mars will hover near the moon in the night sky, easily visible with the naked eye. Now, the total eclipse will last 1 hour, 42 minutes and 57 seconds, just to be precise, though a partial eclipse precedes and follows, meaning the moon will spend a total of 3 hours and 54 minutes in the Earth's umbral shadow. Now, that's according to NASA. What will make your experience extra fascinating will be the conversation that you'll be able to have when you're watching the lunar eclipse with your family and you talk about what is so, so special about our moon and the evidences that God made the moon. Well, some spectacular perspectives coming ahead in this next hour. I hope you can stick around. Our talkback line will be open. You will be able to ask a question, make a contribution to our conversation. Our special guest through this hour is Dr. Don Batten. He leads Creation Ministries and is a keen uh, follower of some astronomical insights as well. Uh, Don Batten, welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Good to be with you. Don, when I spoke to you and said, uh, hey, need to talk about the moon because the lunar eclipse is coming, what do you know? Well, I'm just amazed uh, just how enthusiastic you were uh, to have an opportunity to talk about God making the moon. Uh, what is your general interest in astronomy and these sorts of issues? Well, Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies above proclaim his handiwork. And absolutely, when we look at things like the moon and the, uh, the earth, where it is in the solar system, the solar system, the stars, the galaxies, the huge size of the universe, we just see the glory of God. And, uh, you know, it's really, really good when you look at uh, the attempts of people to try and explain it without God. It actually gets quite farcical. <laughs> uh, well, this is one of the most significant things, is that the presence of the moon cannot be explained by some sort of evolutionary theory. Well, they try. Uh, and this is, they try to. Okay, but, but this is one of those very significant strengths of appreciation of God as creator. Absolutely, yeah. In fact, the next issue of Creation Magazine has an article especially about this particular topic, you know, the different uh, theories or hypotheses about how the moon could have come to be. Uh, and they all fail. All of them have huge problems. So that's why there's so many different ideas about how it happened. Uh, 
Okay, now, uh, for a lot of us, we'll be up early in the morning. and uh, I don't no. think I will be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the rest of us will watch it on television tomorrow night. Uh, but, yes, there is certainly a fascination, though, with the idea of a lunar eclipse. Yeah. And uh, there's been lots of them of recent times, though. Well, they're, they're not that not uncommon. Um, and a full lunar eclipse occurs about once a year somewhere on the Earth. And uh, it affects a whole, a big part of the Earth, being uh, unlike a solar eclipse where the moon comes between the Earth and the sun. And that's amazing too because uh, because of the relative size of the moon and the sun and their distances and so on, it just precisely lines up with the size of the sun when it's a total uh, solar eclipse. And that's a very... Uh, 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 a really precise spot on the Earth where you can see that. But the lunar eclipse, where, where the Earth comes between the sun and the moon and shadows the moon and stops the uh, sun from shining on the moon, if you like, directly, uh, that uh, covers a much bigger part of the Earth. And so, for example, we can see this right across to the Middle East and Africa and right up into even in, as far north as Siberia can actually see at least part of this lunar eclipse. So it affects quite a big part of the Earth. Now, Don, this is actually called a blood moon. Mm, and yes. uh, with the idea that the moon takes on a red appearance, is there anything scientific we can understand about that? Oh, absolutely. The it's the same thing as when you see a sunset or a sunrise, the sun looks red. And the reason is the light is travelling through a lot of this Earth's atmosphere, which has dust in it, and that changes the, the spectrum of the light and makes it look red. So what happens with a, a lunar eclipse, a total lunar eclipse, uh, is the light is travelling through the Earth's atmosphere and refracting or bending around the Earth and then illuminating the moon, which is behind the Earth. And so the light coming via the atmosphere and refracting and hitting the moon is red. So that's why it's a blood moon. Now, we aren't going to let our conversation be hijacked uh, by some things that people will be talking about today. But it is worthy of mention, this idea of blood moons, uh, this is in fact a biblical concept and usually when we see things in the Bible and there's two or three places where the idea of the moon turning to blood yep. uh, is mentioned and usually in association with the idea of uh, the last days, uh, the impending apocalypse. Yep. And uh, there are those Christians who've been captivated by this idea of blood moons last year and this year. And, uh, and for some, they've been... D d distracted a little from uh, some of the things that we might talk about in relation to our Christian walk and mission. Uh, what are your thoughts on, well, on people getting caught up in that? Well, the th first thing is a blood moon happens about once a year on average, so it's not that unusual. But the thing that these uh, pro pro prophecy people have got onto is a tetrad of blood moons. That's when you get four blood moons in two-year period, and that's much more unusual. In fact, there's been a centuries without them happening. So when they happen, they get a bit excited about this. But, but the Bible doesn't talk about a tetrad of blood moons. It just says the moon will turn to blood. And, but it also says the sun will be blacked out. They sort of leave that out of the story because that, the two always go together. The sun will be blacked out and the moon will turn to red. And so the Bible's talking about uh, effectively some incredible natural or perhaps supernatural thing. Now, here's the, here's the deal. On When Jesus was crucified, 
that says there was a darkness came over Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing. There's no astronomical thing that could explain that because it's the wrong time of the year for any eclipse or anything like that. There's no way that any astronomical event could have explained. It must have been supernatural. And I think the Bible's telling us that these events are going to be so spectacular, they're not just natural events, they are supernatural events that's herald the coming of Jesus and the second coming. Well, there may be listeners who do have a thought about that, but just to say that uh, if there are calls, uh, we'll certainly happily take them, but we'll want to keep our focus on this very special phenomenon uh, that draws our attention to the moon, and we want to talk about how we know that God made the moon. Uh, What are some of the evidences that stand out in your mind, Don Batten, when we talk about God making the moon, uh, that the moon is there and it's not just by accident? Well, one of the things is unlike, there are many moons in the solar system. Uh, Jupiter and other planets have moons and lots of moons, but the Earth's moon is actually quite quite unusual and it's very large. Uh, And uh, I believe it's the largest in the solar system. Uh, but it also has a very important function, and that is things like the, the uh, tidal movement of the water is actually very important for cleaning out our estuaries and keeping them healthy and oxygenating the water and uh, bringing nutrients in and out and so on. So the moon has a very very good function on the earth in terms of keeping the earth habitable and healthy. And so when people are looking for life in outer space, uh, somehow or other to be able to find the perfect planet with a moon that does the same sort of thing that our moon does, uh, really just complicates their whole search uh, for this idea of extraterrestrial life. But this is something that is so special that we have that we cannot really easily just explain away and say that it's there by any sort of accidental purpose because it does such amazing things. It does such amazing things. And, but do you see, if you, don't, if you don't want to believe in a creator, you have to actually have some sort of accident that created it. Uh, and that's where they really run, a, run aground and try and explain that the origin of the moon. When we talk about origins of the moon, let's put you uh, really to the test here. Uh, how did the moon get there? Uh, why is the moon the way that it is? There's some suggestion that even uh, the moon is made from material a little like the Earth's early mantle. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the moon? Well, the composition of the moon and the Earth are, are similar but different. So uh, the, the similarities are a problem and the differences are a problem. <laughs> okay. You've got a problem here. <laughs> <laughs> a problem for trying to explain it naturally. You know. Okay, right. So, okay, so, I mean. yeah, so when we say the problem is, the problem is not for Christians to no, explain no, the it. Not, not, the, the problem the, is for, yeah. for others who are denying God to yeah, explain it. That's exactly right. So the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that on day 4 of creation week, God created the uh, the light bearers and uh, he doesn't actually name the moon there but he says the greater and the lesser the greater light bearer of course is the sun and the lesser light bearer is the moon and it and it sort of throws in an afterthought there oh he created the stars also like to, to God it was just oh we'll just create the stars too <laughs> that's so. very interesting in fact the fact that we do have light by night and light by day uh, is there something significant that we'd understand about that um, well. I mean, uh, it's handy to have the moon shining when you want to find it, find your way around in the night. But I mean, it's not always shining, of course. So, uh, uh, but nevertheless, it's uh, it's a testimony to God's creative uh, 
uh, ability and imagination and also care for the earth and, uh, as I say, the positive things the moon does for us. Interesting the way when we look at the moon, the moon is always facing the same way. Yes. Uh, And that's a major feat of physics that makes that happen, uh, which is just beyond the idea of accidental. What are your thoughts on the moon facing us the way it does? Yes, it's called tidally locked. And and this can happen naturally. Uh, You can have uh, a, a moon orbiting a planet and the tidal pull actually eventually causes tidal locking. Uh, now, that's a problem for their belief in their long ages because there's should be a lot more tidal locking in the solar system than what you see if it's as old as they claim it is. Uh, that's another another story. Uh, but uh, And in fact, it's interesting that when you look at the moon, the cratering on the moon is m- nearly all facing us. Uh, so uh, when you go around the other side of the moon uh, with the NASA satellites and, uh, and probes and things and photograph the other side of the moon, it's not much cratering on it. So you think, well, if the cratering happened over billions of years, like they claim, uh, surely it would be fairly random. Uh, but it's not random. It's nearly all on one side of the moon, the, the side facing us. You say, well, how did that happen? Well, there had to be this impacts of meteorites, uh, asteroids, whatever, uh, coming from the direction of the Earth, basically, uh, hitting the moon, and causing all this pocking, or the, uh, the, the, called the lunar seas, and not actually seas, of course, they're due to the lava flowing from the impacts from these, uh, asteroids, meteorites, and things. So, uh, so these, the, the pattern on the moon speaks of a very intense short period of impacts, not long periods of time. Now, that may well have happened during the global flood of Noah. It might have been, might have been a factor at that time. So we don't know for sure, of course. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking about evidences that God made the moon with the big lunar eclipse that's happening overnight tonight. You're likely to be standing out watching that with your family if you're up nice and early in the morning. Dr. Don Batten is our guest this hour. He leads Creation Ministries and creation.com. And there's lots and lots of uh, articles on creation.com that are all about the moon. Don, before we take a call... Uh, let's talk about another controversy quickly, and there might be listeners who are concerned uh, or fascinated by the idea that uh, you've got astronomers who are talking about water on Mars, an ocean that's under the surface. Mm. Uh, is there a Christian creation perspective about that idea of water on Mars? Well, there can be water anywhere. <laughs> it's interesting. The Bible says that the God created the earth out of water. And it was covered in water, Second uh, Peter chapter 3. So uh, water figures big in creation. So uh, uh, Mars, water. Well, of course, we're known there's ice water um, on Mars. That's been known for a long time. And the ice caps on Mars, I think they can be seen by telescope even before probes were sent out there. Uh, but, of course, when there's ice water, you think, well, maybe there could be some actually liquid water. And this is what this excitement is about. So beneath the ice cap, Using radar, ground-penetrating radar, they have a pattern of signals from this radar which suggests that there's a, a, a lake, if you like, of water beneath the surface of the ground, about a metre deep, about 20 square kilometres in size. <clears throat> and um, and so this lake of uh, not fresh water but 
liquid water. Now, how could it be liquid if it's sitting beneath the ice? Well, it must have a lot of salt in it. That's the, th- that's the idea. And one of the salts is actually um, potassium perchlorate, which is not very conducive to life, I might add. <laughs> okay. uh, well, this is, the, uh, this is the issue, isn't it, for people who are looking for life beyond our, pa- our planet, is that yeah. uh, if there's water, there's potential for life. Well, if there's water, there's life. That's the idea. Well, that's, that is ridiculous, actually, because you can have a bottle of water, have a bottle of water here, um, and I hope there's not much life in it. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, and water doesn't produce life. Now, this is the naivety of astrophysicists, if you like, who know nothing about biology or next to nothing about biology. Uh, they have this no, uh, naive notion that if you have water, then there's a possibility of life. Now, I must say that the astrophysicist, one of the people involved in this uh, project, which was published in uh, in the science journal, specifically said when interviewed, he said, we're not talking about life. You know, that's, that's, that's another issue altogether. This is just a, a pool of water. We're not saying there's life there. Uh, that's entirely different. And he's not speculating there's life there or they're not even saying there could be life there. But the popular media have picked it up. Uh, because, uh, you know, this is, wow, there could be life out there. Well, why, why do people get so excited about life out there when we've got teeming life on Earth, you know, which testifies to God's creative ability? Well, in their thinking, they think that some way it's going to counteract the Bible's account of creation, that if you could imagine that life formed out there somewhere else, oh, there you are, life's not that, that unusual at all. It can happen anywhere. You know, look, it's happened on Mars. You know. <laughs> okay, well, no, no, very interesting perspectives. There might be some feedback from listeners today. Our talk back line open, 1-800-316-316. And you can leave a question or a comment on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Uh, let's take some calls. Steve is on the line from Horsham in Victoria. Hello, Steve. Welcome. Steve, are you with us? Steve's not with us. Let's take a call from Neil in Parks in New South Wales. Hello, Neil. How are you going? Very well, thanks, Neil. What are your thoughts? Uh, I just remembered when I was in high school, in uh, third year high school, I think it's what, year nine now, um, watching the landing on the moon in the science lab on a black and white TV. Yep, great stuff, yeah. Yeah, I remember the... um, Neil Armstrong, wasn't it? Yep. When he stepped out of the module, there was a platform he stood on and said, I can't reach the last two feet, I think he said, because the, um, the pad was two foot off the ground. And he'd have to jump down the last bit. And I understood that the scientists believed the thickness of the dust on the moon would be about two foot thick. And when, in fact, it was worked out to only be three-eighths of an inch thick. Yeah, that's what that's uh, what um, ten mil or something. Uh, yeah, so, that, that, that's that, true. There was an expectation there'd be more dust than there was, um, and some yeah, people so indicating that the moon would be maybe only less than ten thousand years old, not millions of years old. Yeah, uh, some people have, that argument has been used. Uh, we don't actually currently use that argument because it's in a state of flux. The uh, uh, sensors put on the moon to measure the amount of dust and so on. But it's interesting, it actually surfaced again just recently, the discussion about this, and it's back in the, back in the melting pot in terms of, well, uh, the argument may, may well be still useful. So uh, there's actually a huge number of evidences for a young creation, and there's an article on creation.com called Age of the Earth, and it's actually 101 evidences pr- presented there 
not the moon dust ar- argument, but lots of others that actually stand scrutiny. And uh, so we don't depend on the moon dust argument for the age of things. There are many other fantastic exam- uh, evidences for a young creation. So uh, look up look up Age of the Earth, 101 Evidences for a Young Age of the Earth and the Universe. It's uh, There's a massive of evidence there. Oh, there's more evidence to believe God created things than there. Oh, abso- absolutely. I don't, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. No, me either. Now, by the way, I, I actually spent some years in Peak Hill. I was actually uh, spent my primary school years in Peak Hill. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm heading, that's where I'm heading through there now. Yeah, just up the road from Parks. <laughs> Half an hour. And uh, Neil, uh, from Parks and uh, one of those significant geographical locations in well, our the history. radio telescopes right near Parks, you know, <laughs> that's a fantastic thing. Neil, thank uh, you so much for your call. Uh, oh, by the way, Neil, is, uh, obviously there's lots of uh, people who like to visit the Parks uh, radio telescope there and uh, no doubt people in Parks will be very, very interested in the uh, issues that are going on with the moon tonight. Yes, uh, I'll have to look at it. We've got a nice clear sky today and I'll Big last night. Okay. By the way, the optimum time on the East Coast for seeing the total eclipse is between 5.30am and 6.21am. That's the optimum time. That's when you see the blood moon. Okay. Neil from Parks, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to contribute to our conversation. Uh, Don, just a short while ago, we mentioned the idea of seasons. And as I understand it, uh, the seasons that we have can relate to the slow-moving rotation of the moon. Because we said... The moon is always facing the same way, but that doesn't mean that it's not rotating. Uh, it takes 27.3 days to rotate once. Uh, this is also exactly how long it takes the moon to orbit Earth. And so when we have this perfect alignment, a capacity for seasons, the capacity for even doing agriculture and knowing when to plant and when to harvest, all of these things are very much dependent on the moon. Well, the most important factor for the seasons is the tilt on the Earth's axis. So because the Earth's axis are tilted and they orbit around the sun, the northern hemisphere can be um, pointing towards the sun or the southern hemisphere can be pointing towards the sun. And that depends. So when, when the southern hemisphere is pointing towards the sun, then that's our summer. And when they're pointing away from the sun, that's our winter. Basically, so it's a tilt on the Earth's axis that's a major factor in the seasons. So that gives us the four seasons of the year. Well, here in Brisbane, we really only get two seasons. <laughs> oh, yeah. but, uh, summer and spring. Yeah, summer and spring, yeah. <laughs> so um, the winter's beautiful. But um, so, uh, so it's mainly the tilt on the axis which gives us the seasons. Uh, and, of course, the, the, the moon does have an effect on things like the size of the tides and things like that, and that is that is uh, affected by the seasons. The tilt on the Earth's axis combined with the moon gives you king tides and things like that. So the two go together to have these uh, king tides, for example. Okay, uh, we are taking calls. Let's take a quick one before the news. Karen from Melbourne, welcome along. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, um, Karen. Uh, I, well, in 1984, I'm a Christian. Well, in 1985, I saw a UFO, and um, so I don't dispute this life out there. The Bible just says there's going to be signs and wonders in the heavens. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I was just wondering what your view of UFOs is. 
Okay, we haven't got a lot of time to unpack this before the news. Just 30 seconds. Is there a very quick answer, Don? Uh, listen, uh, go to creation.com and look up aliens and uh, alien intrusion. We've got a fantastic documentary, actually, uh, to our documentary. In fact, you can buy it from Vision. Uh, Vision Store has uh, alien intrusion. Uh, I would highly recommend you get hold of that and get a perspective, a biblical perspective on the whole alien thing. Uh, Don, just to reflect for a few moments here, we're talking about uh, what times people will see the lunar eclipse in the eastern states and what times they might see them in the west. And the west seems to be the big winner here. They've got the well, best viewing time. Yeah, the, the west has the best viewing, of course. They've got uh, from 3.30 a.m., the uh, total eclipse uh, where you'll see the blood moon till 5.13 a.m. when the total eclipse ends. So that's the time. That's the optimum time to see uh, the blood moon. And uh, it is... Um, so in the east, the sun sort of kills it. We, uh, the sun comes up and, it's, uh, and also the moon dips below the horizon. So it's actually very low on the western horizon in the east it's a bit higher in the sky in the west because uh, so this is an occasion when the west actually has the best and, and they, they would say they have it all the time of course <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess uh, when you're looking at uh, lunar eclipses I mean it's going to be so easy to see with the naked eye oh yes uh, oftentimes when you're talking astronomy and stargazing looking uh, for comets and stars and planets in the distance uh, where you are and uh, the lack of lights uh, that might come from a surrounding city, uh, central yeah. suburb, or whatever. Uh, if you're out in the if you're out in the bush, for a lot of listeners who are listening to our conversation today, they're going to have a fabulous view. Well, it's unless the sky is clouded, <laughs> which will dampen which, the whole thing. Which yes. will dampen the thing quite considerably. But if the sky is clear, you can see it anywhere, and you don't need any special viewing equipment or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Let me just hearken back to uh, these other uh, conspiracy, uh, spiritual theorizing that goes around blood moons. Uh, the idea that somehow or other the blood moon could be a sign of the apocalypse. Uh, a number of different passages in the Bible out of the book of Joel, out of Acts chapter 2.20, out of Revelation 6.12, where there's a mention of a blood moon. Uh, interesting when we get a Christian perspective on this, Don, because there are some preachers who are big on the idea of blood moons, but there's a difference between astronomy and what we'd actually call astrology. And there's a certain sense, isn't there, if you get too uh, predictive of what a astronomical event is showing, that you're actually crossing the line a little bit and turning it into almost an astro astrological type of prediction about an apocalypse. Uh, what are your just, just your thoughts on uh, on just having a right Christian perspective when it comes to these sorts of phenomena? Yeah, I think you have to take what the Bible says in context. And, uh, it, for example, it talks about the, the sun being darkened as well. And so do we see the sun darkened when there's these blood moons? Well, no. So is it the, is it the harbinger of the end times? I don't think so. Uh, these blood moons occur about once a year on average. The tetrad, which the Bible doesn't talk about, occurs much less frequently where you get four blood moons in a period of two years. Um, and the other thing is that any indication of the end times must be visible to everybody. And these blood moons are localized and about probably about a quarter of the Earth sees a blood moon at any given time. 
So uh, not everybody sees these blood moons, but if the sun is blacked out, everybody's going to see that. I think the Bible's talking about something that everybody will see, and everybody will have the opportunity to see, hey, something incredible is happening. Don, when we look at the moon, uh, we're just, you know, it's always been there in our lifetime. Uh, We've grown up, uh, we just look at it and it's there. Assume it's there. But for someone who has a perhaps a deeper scientific perspective, as we're talking about today, a deeper spiritual perspective, there is a sense, isn't there, that when you look at the moon, you can be captivated by just the magnificence, the majesty, the transcendence of a God who has created something that is so functional and workable. Yeah, and um, attempts to explain it without a creator, um, they have everything has problems. So you know, the, the, probably the most um, uh, widely accepted idea is that a Mars-sized planet or object crashed into Earth, and uh, as a result of that crash, the moon formed. Um, so that's the most popular idea, but there are about three other popular ideas as well. Uh, one is that uh, the, the moon formed at the same time as all the planets and everything else from this swirling disk of dust from which formed the sun as well. That has huge problems, uh, but that's one of the ideas. Uh, another one was the earth was unstable and split into two. Um, but all these ideas have huge problems uh, in terms of they don't generate... Well, for example, the... The planet crashing into, or not planet, but the object crashing into Earth the size of Mars, uh, that would have melted everything because of the heat involved, the energy involved, but it didn't. And uh, so the uh, the result was, was not what you would expect from this process. So all these ideas, uh, they all have problems, and so people plug for one or the other because their idea actually solves this problem but somebody it has it has a different problem somebody else's idea solves that problem but it's got its own problems and so all these ideas have problems because none of them none of them actually reflect what happened which was that it was created it didn't form by natural processes let's come back to the creation sequence because when we talk about the moon uh, from genesis uh, i think you mentioned uh, day four of creation yep so uh, how do we understand that is there an easy way just to, in a nutshell uh, when we read from Genesis chapter 1 uh, what is it that as Christian believers appreciating the creation of God uh, that we appreciate by the way of uh, the, the formation of the moon the formation of uh, the stars as you say what should we be looking at uh, to say this is the way it happened well the first thing is it's supernatural God speaks things into existence that is not something we can understand So you can try as you might to explain uh, in some sort of uh, physical process that God used to create everything, and we can go there and try to do that, and it's good fun, but in the end it's supernatural. God spoke things into existence. That is not a natural process. And so the creation week was a supernatural event. Where people found it is they try to make it into a natural event. So they're trying to explain it by natural processes. But the Bible clearly says God spoke things into existence. God spoke and it happened straight away. It didn't take billions of years. And so the day four of creation week, we had the sun, the moon, not called that there. They're called the greater light and the lesser light. And the stars created on day four of creation week. And it's an interesting thing. There are three days of light, day and night, before the sun was created. But Genesis chapter 1, in verse the first day, it says, God said, let there be light. It's against God speaks. Light. There's light. Where did it come from? It doesn't say. God created light. It must have been a directional light because the Earth's rotating to give a day and a night. 
so that days and nights from the first three days are actually from the source of light that God created before he created the sun. So why did he do it that way? Well, we've got to worship the one who can create light without the sun, and he created the sun as a source of light from then on. So it's all about worshipping God. It's all directed to God. God is the centre of the focus. He is the one who did these things, not the not to focus on the moon or the sun or worship them, but worship God who made them, worship God who makes light without the sun. Take us into the other side of this too, because sometimes uh, just this idea of oh God created everything and just the six day of creation, six days creation, uh, and people tend to have this feeling that somehow or other the alternative must be more reasonable. And when you start talking about natural things and this idea that science has all of the answers and the speculation about what has happened with origins. Uh, just take us into the other side here for a moment, Don, because some people are thinking that it's easier to believe what the scientists are saying when in actual fact uh, the way that we talk about creation, in fact, has much more credibility when you talk about God as a creator and all of these things coming into a supernatural appearance. Uh, what are your thoughts for the other side? Well, the other side is about trying to trying to move God out of the picture, basically. So uh, so that's what it's all about. Now, of course, in our culture today, the only thing people hear uh, on nearly all the radio stations, TV stations, at the, the museums, the schools, the universities, the nature documentaries, they're all beating to the same drum, and that is everything made itself. We invented God. God didn't invent us. That's the underlying ethos, the underlying principle behind it all, and that's all that anybody ever hears, except, of course, on vision. <laughs> mm. and, and other Christian radio stations, they might hear something different. And, and hopefully at church, they might hear something different. <laughs> but outside of that, what do people hear? They only hear one side of the story. You know, I wrote an article called Five Miracles Atheists Believe. Okay, <laughs> and the no doubt the atheists would uh, deny the fact that they believe in miracles. Well, they really stirred up a hornet's nest because okay. they don't like to think they believe in miracles. But here's the deal. I believe in miracles, but I believe in a miracle worker. Atheists are believing in miracles. They don't have a miracle worker. you know. And the five miracles are there. And the first one is the origin of the universe. Uh, where did it come from? How did nothing produce everything with no cause whatsoever? That is not sensible. It's not reasonable. Okay, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316, our focus on the moon. God made the moon. Rosemary is in Melbourne. Hello, Rosemary. Welcome along. Oh, good morning, Neil. How are you today? Oh, very well, Rosemary. It's been a little while. What are your good. thoughts today? Um, oh, just speak, I think I was just speaking to Mandy before. Um, I was just noticing in the eastern sky here in Melbourne the last couple of nights, um, right about this time of the month, well, here in Melbourne, well, I, I don't know where else. It's like the full moon, the round moon, towards the end of the month, which is now at the moment. And I'm listening to the uh, the speaker today. I guess, um, of course, you can see the smiley face of the moon, <laughs> the round moon, um, which I believe would probably be the craters of the moon. I That's think. correct, yeah. Yes, but I'm noticing at <laughs> my eastern window uh, the round moon, the full moon, um, the last couple of evenings. I can see something which I don't normally see with the round moon here in Melbourne, which is, I can see with the light of the moon, which is very bright, of course, and the face, which is the craters, I can see there's a mist in front of the moon, which I do not normally see that here in Melbourne, in the night sky. Um, around the moon, 
it doesn't seem to be cloud or mist at all. It's sort of like a darkish, but this is, seems to me <laughs> um, to be a bit different. So I'm thinking probably God's making it this way already. Either that, Rosemary, or there's a little bit more pollution in Melbourne than some other people outside of Melbourne are seeing. But your thoughts, it Don? Could, it could be the fact that it's winter and uh, the crystal clear air, cold air, and uh, you've got uh, uh, perhaps a layer of humidity in the air because of the coldness, uh, which is actually giving you that appearance. So I'm not absolutely sure what that is, but uh, it's be something like that happening. Okay, well, Rosemary from Melbourne, just wonderful to hear from you. Thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Leon in Adelaide. Hello, Leon. Welcome along. Hi. Um, I just want to mention something that uh, the lady you just spoke to from Melbourne. Um, it is quite common for cataract patients to see uh, a double moon, uh, a double image of the moon. True. So she might That's have true. to go and see an optometrist and see if she's got the style of cataracts. Good point, good point. Yeah. Is, um, the moon goes around the Earth in an elliptical orbit. Now, that would defy all uh, understanding and, and, and logic of uh, the rocket scientists. Actually, it's almost perfectly circular orbit, which is a problem for almost, their... Almost. Almost perfectly circular, which is a problem for their capture theory, which is the idea that... Uh, Earth captured this uh, moon as it swung by. Uh, that's one yeah, of the other theories. So the moon is closer uh, to the Earth, and it takes a it goes through a cycle of eight years. And the yeah. Earth goes around the Sun in, in an elliptical orbit. That's correct. And uh, with a difference of five million kilometers between January and uh, the middle of the year, yeah. or December and the middle of the year, and then it then it uh, goes back again in the northern hemisphere to be further away. So it moved away at, at the rate of about 900,000 kilometers per month. And yeah. then an invisible hand stops it from going outside the, the gravity sphere of the, of the sun. And then when it comes back in again in our summer, then a, 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 an invisible hand stops it from just entering into uh, the gravity of the sun even more and more. Yeah, well, um, you know, how yeah. how they can explain that? Uh, how can anything move uh, around in an elliptical orbit at the same speed and still stay in orbit? That is uh, that is just you know impossible to to say that that is uh, uh, just a miracle. Actually, a miracle maker. Actually, you go back to Isaac Newton, widely regarded as the greatest scientist who ever lived. He was a devout Christian. And he actually was the one who worked out the laws of gravity, which explain the movement, elliptical and circular orbits of planets and moons and stars and everything else. And uh, it's due to gravity. Now, the real, the real mystery is what is gravity? Uh, nobody has any <laughs> much idea about what is gravity. Uh, and I think God's laughing at us as we scrabble around trying to work out what it, how it works. But, uh, but it's the force of gravity between two objects, which actually is precisely uh, described by the mathematical equations that Newton worked out, what, 400 years ago. Quite an amazing man and an amazing devout Christian who saw his research as revealing the thoughts of God, along with Kepler and a uh, great astronomer, Kepler and so on. These guys re thought of their science as revealing the glory of God. Leon, uh, you obviously have some uh, some uh, expertise in this area. What sort of uh, what sort of background no, do you come no, from? No, I wouldn't go into that. Can I just make <laughs> one other comment? Yeah. Yes. And how can an embryo survive in a, in a calcium uh, casing, an eggshell, 
for three weeks without any oxygen getting in or any carbon dioxide leaving the cavity. And with cell activity, there is uh, toxic waste, which is uh, dealt with by the, the mother through an umbilical cord. And, you know, a chicken's egg doesn't have anything of uh, any, any connection to the ends whatsoever. Funny you should mention that because the next issue of Creation Magazine actually has an article about eggs and how marvellously designed they are. You're absolutely right. Quite an incredible uh, uh, creation of our wonderful creator, the eggshell of a bird, which enables that little chick to uh, live and thrive and then break out of the egg. And actually the eggshell gets thinner as it gets towards hatching time. Uh, to allow it to break out, because if it didn't get thinner, the little chick wouldn't be able to break out of the egg. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. What a fascinating conversation it's been this hour, talking about how God made the moon, the fact that the moon is there. Uh, this is beyond uh, the idea of just uh, what an atheistic evolutionist might be able to come up with. Very difficult to explain the magnificence of the moon when it comes to people who are thinking about just being evolutionists. Uh, Don Batten, if we're just uh, recounting some of the things that we've been talking about this hour, uh, when you're standing out there with the kids in the morning and uh, looking up and, uh, uh, you know, just basking in the majestic nature of the fact that God has made the moon, uh, what are the things that you would say uh, for parents communicating to their kids? Yeah, communicate that. Isn't it wonderful, God's creation and how he has made these things and uh, these things that are happening in the skies remind us of his handiwork and uh, how incredible it all is and how wonderful our God is. And we don't have to go too too much into details, but uh, but it's interesting that uh, the the most popular idea about how the moon formed apart from God is the idea it was smashed into by some Mars-sized object. But um, and uh, they've run all sorts of simulations, just computer models, and try to you know different angles of impact and different speeds and all this sort of stuff, trying to get the right amount of heat and everything. But when it boils down to it. Um, this is a quote from a paper published in 2013 by one of these uh, guys trying to model this stuff. It says, The simulations of a moon-forming impact have yet to produce a moon that fits all the puzzle pieces, geochemical and otherwise. That's the chemistry, the, the uh, isotope ratios and things. We are attempting to model processes of physics that are extreme as compared to the current Earth conditions. We have never observed these processes in nature or in the laboratory. Okay, and so in other words, they're just they're just they're just daydreaming about this stuff, sophisticated daydreaming. But in the end, God created the moon, and they're not going to find a way to explain it without Him. So you're standing there watching the lunar eclipse with your children, and of course, it all depends on how old your children are as to how how much detail uh, you much need to go detail to. Yeah. You need to go to. So each parent needs to uh, sort of assess where their kids might be at. But uh, when it comes to the simple things, if you've got small children, uh, you don't need a lot of preparation. No, but you can do some good preparation by going onto the Creation website, yeah. and uh, you can really look at very very scientific uh, things that maybe beyond many of us uh, to look at those things and glean some of the really important points out of them. Yeah, there's actually a, a nice layman's article written for Creation Magazine, which is on the website, and you can look that up, and that's got the basics there. Uh, but you can go in, as you say, you can go into more detail if you want to, like that quote I just uh, read from an article by uh, Mike Ord 
But uh, that's stuff published in the Journal of Creation, which is more detailed, more in-depth material. But uh, the article in Creation magazine, uh, it covers the bases and uh, talks about all the different aspects of the moon. And I think for most of us, we want the simple presentation, but we want to be confident that there is real substance, yeah. real academic understanding behind the sorts of things that we're sharing. And this is the beauty of some of the articles that you have on as many as 10,000 plus articles on all sorts of different uh, understandings about yeah. creation versus evolution. Uh, we want to feel that level of confidence. And that's what you set out to do, Don. Well, that's what we do with Creation Magazine. So every article has an enormous amount of checking goes on. So it's technical, make sure it's technically accurate, uh, but also readable. Now, sometimes we fail on the readability part. <laughs> it's, it's always battle trying to keep things down to a, a lay level but uh, but sometimes an article gets in which we put a little thing across for a bit of technical language in this one but we do try to keep it at a level where you know say uh, you, you know, kids in junior high school could even read it so here's the thing if you've got children in um, high school in middle high school upwards I mean they can go onto the website creation.com and search for their own material and read it themselves uh, so uh, there's it, plenty, plenty of material out there it's a matter of uh, just making a mental note that there is a tremendous resource that's available for a parent yeah. helping to raise their children or yeah. for parents, uh, individuals, anyone who might be questioning and asking some deeper questions about these issues. And, and get, to, get informed so you can talk to your friends and your work colleagues about it. Yeah, That's right. And so many people passionate about getting informed so they can be engaged in the conversation. Yeah. Well, Don Batten, always just great getting your insights. Thanks so much for uh, indulging us with your presence today and, uh, and, and just bringing some of these wonderful issues of the moon to light uh, we are all encouraged undoubtedly thank you so much for being with us thank you let Neil. me point people at creation.com blessings to you don before you go thanks for listening there's lots more great audio on demand or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au and remember vision is listener supported your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.